episode 34 of Matt Hoss Talks to People He Likes. Yeah, it has been a while. It's an absolute pleasure to be back. It's been a, a, since September was the last episode, and I'm releasing this in March 2020, and uh, as if you listen to it at the time, or if you listen back to it afterwards, I'm releasing this episode under the corona quarantine and the lockdown, and um, I thought during this time, whilst we've uh, not only do I have a lot of time on my hands and a lot of other creative uh, and self-employed people, um, I thought use this time to get the podcast back up, get some recordings done and have stuff that I can release periodically throughout the whole year. And also giving that content for people who at the time are looking for something extra to do during their day. So I thought I'd bring back the podcast uh, for the time being and for as long as possible. Um, but today we have a really, really special guest. Um, we, so we got, uh, we're going to be doing a lot in this series, but uh, we're going to start off this season with a bang because we've got the amazing Mr. Adam Pearson. And if you don't know Adam, uh, he is a, he's an actor, presenter, a speaker, and he's a disability rights campaigner as well. Uh, on top of that, we talk about some really cool stuff. Um, and this is our first time talking to each other, and we did it through Skype. And... Because we're doing this um, from our own homes and uh, in the lockdown, it, the audio can be a bit patchy at times, and we did record off our separate things. It might be a bit hit and miss at times, but do bear with it, because the content's worth it. So we talk a bit about Corona, we chat a lot about video games, and uh, in particular Animal Crossing. Uh, we also talk about uh, stand-up comedy, the fringe, and also being jealous in our careers as well. Uh, on top of that, we talk about... Um, Offense in stand-up comedy, uh, brutally honest kids' books, and how to be the perfect Bond villain. So without, uh, without giving too much more away, I hope you enjoy this special episode with Mr. Adam Pearson. I hope you're ready for our podcast today, and I hope you're ready for what we're about to say. And you can come for you on a bus or a train, because we're going to go straight inside your brain. Get ready for the podcast. Yeah. Hope you're ready for the podcast. I bet you're ready for the podcast. Yeah, yeah, you're probably ready. Enjoy the podcast. Okay, well, uh, welcome to the podcast. It's an absolute pleasure to have you here, Adam. Uh, uh, yeah, so uh, how uh, we're currently recording uh, in about in the first proper week of the corona as well so how are you coping in the uh, in the kind of madness i'm i'm doing okay i've had a lot of kind of speaking engagements cancelled and everything has kind of the bottom has fallen out slightly but I, i'm not too concerned about that i'm more concerned about kind of my my friends my family my loved ones yes, yes and yeah. getting things as as back to normal as as they can be yeah, and it's, um, as you mentioned, like, uh, uh, with a lot of things being cancelled, there's, like, kind of a, a, a lapse in normality as well, and uh, you, you're obviously trying to, it's, 
I'm very keen to get things back to normal, but also I'm willing to kind of wait it out because you want to make sure people are, uh, like, your loved ones are okay and other people are doing okay. Um, But, yeah, have you been completely self-isolating or uh, have you been out and about, like, getting bits and pieces? How have you been coping so far in 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 those circumstances? I'm self-isolating to to a degree because I have asthma. I'm I'm on sort of, like, the, um, the, the arbitrary list. Yeah, okay. Yeah. got sent out. So I'm still, you know, I've got to go to the chemist and pick up prescriptions. If you've got to pop out and get milk, I'll pop out and get milk. But I'm not kind of going to pubs or cafes or yeah, yeah. or restaurants to sit in. A lot of places don't do sit in anymore where I am. But I'll stay open and you can go and get takeaway and, and walk straight out, which I think is quite a good, quite a good policy. So I, I, invariably, that will end soon as well. Yeah. And I, I find it's kind of... Um... I, like in the first couple of days it's quite weird but I kind of like how everything is kind of uh, adapted very fast as well like we have these takeaways in place now and we have a lot of people doing online content and uh, uh, some people uh, aim to do podcasts whoever they are but like uh, yeah it's um, it's good to it's, it's, I find it weird and it's a bit alienating but it's also quite uh, promising the optimistic in me likes the fact that people are uh, like changing as well and it's uh I, I just yeah I just hope that everyone's doing okay as well but uh, um, but we well before as we arranged this as well we were discussing on the day to record and you mentioned that uh, today might be a bit difficult because you were uh, at the new Animal Crossings out as well uh, and have you been playing it today so far? It's so good. <laughs> oh my God. To be honest, like the the nerd in me really just wanted to find that out and but yeah so uh, can you tell me more about it? So it's a new Animal Crossing game where it's like a very cutesy version of The Sims where you make your own island and then the longer you play for it in real time, the more stuff you have access to to build and create. And then the more you build and create, the more of the island you can access. And eventually people come and live on your island with you. And it's sort of like The Sims meets um, Tropico meets kind of... Almost like a Disney, but with a macabre, happy tree friends underlying tone to it, and it, it's one of those kind of limited by your own imagination, yeah, kind of and games. If you want a, a narrative and a storyline, don't play Animal Crossing. Yeah. But if you want something you can just pick up, play, and kind of create and exist in your own world, I think the point of gaming, as with any form of entertainment, is escapism. And Animal Crossing New Horizon is escapism done really well. Uh, you know what? That's uh, such an eloquent way to phrase it as well. And uh, I've uh, I've been kind of staring at it all day, but I think I I should keep busy. But like it's been tempting me, Adam. And uh, uh, but yeah, uh, but I've also. Um, I've recently got a Switch in the last month or so, which has been proving very useful at the moment. But uh, I also started bought, I bought Stardew Valley, which is a it's it's a different kind of version, but a very similar kind of concept where you create you have your own farm and you kind of meet these villagers and stuff like that. And uh, oh, I've sunk two hundred hours into Stardew Valley. <laughs> are you like the best kind of like virtual farmer in the world? Are you like a? I always say I'm the best, but that, that's what it is. It's a virtual farm. Remember, we all got hooked on Farmville on Facebook. Stardew Valley's Farmville on acid. It's incredible. Yeah, it's very good, and I spent I I, I spent more time trying to chat to. 
um, fictional 2D women than real women in the last month or so. So it's been pretty uh, pretty good for the date life uh, at the moment. But uh, I've, I'm currently married, but in in the uh, in in the game only. But like, uh, yeah, it's uh, I, I don't know. It's just one of those things. The best 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 thing about those kind of games. It's just like it's just very. I find it so relaxing as well. And uh, I I'm not sure as a as a kid, I would have enjoyed it, but very much now, it's so the pastoral, the kind of the lovely soundtrack. It really just eases. Uh, if I had a very tough day, it's very nice just to chill out to. Yeah, and I think it's important to have those kind of games that chill you out because a lot of games can be quite intense. Yeah, like the, the Final Fantasy remake demo is super intense. And uh, genuinely, you mentioned that to me the other day, and how impressionable I am. I actually bought the new. Uh, uh, Final Fantasy VII on uh, on Nintendo Switch as well. So this is what you've done to me, Adam. You're a, you're a very bad influence on me. <laughs> oh yeah, they, they remastered the original, didn't they? Yeah, they yeah. It's so well done. It's such a good game. So are you? Uh, would you describe yourself as a massive gamer? I'm I'm a, I'm, I'm not just a gamer. I'm I'm a full on dork kind of <laughs> gaming. I do it. Dungeons and Dragons. I do it. I play Magic the Gathering semi pro. I, I'm a huge tech head. I, I'm just about a mammal when it comes to kind of nerd nerd hobbies and and stuff. I don't know why the missus puts up with it. Uh, but you know what? Like, uh, I uh, I would consider myself quite a big gamer, but I've never played Dungeons and Dragons as well. Like, uh, where do you? How do you start? You know what I mean? Because that's something I would I think I'd be very good at, but I'm not sure um, where where to begin. When did you play your first Dungeons and Dragons game? Oh, I I did it at secondary school and then stopped doing it for a very long time, and I've only just come back to it end of last year, start of this year. There's a board gaming cafe in Croydon called The Ludicrous that our two mates online, Nick and Kerry, set up. Mm-hmm. And on Tuesday, they have these open campaigns where anyone can come and just join in oh, to, wow. get, to get like a flavour for the game. Mm-hmm. And I'll have normally very experienced um, kind of DMs there who will do up your character, talk you through it, and it's a much slower paced, um, kind of newbie friendly version. Mm-hmm. Or they'll do like a one shot where it's just like one campaign in one session as opposed to the massive kind of three-year things that you get with guys like Critical Role and yeah. NerdPod online. Because um, that was some of the thing I feared. I feel like it's kind of like a rabbit hole kind of vibe, but if you... I wasn't sure how much you had to commit to it as well because, like, I, 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 I'm kind of, I would be dead keen to do something like that, but I also don't want to, like, I don't want five years to go past and I have a beard and, uh, uh, you know, I'm a, a grand wizard or something like that. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, uh, I'm not sure what the protocols are of like Dungeons and Dragons, but I think, I think I'd be quite good at it to be honest. But I'm not sure what you have to do technically, but it, it, the kind of commitment levels vary group to group, and as long as you have a solid group who are willing to communicate and you can even do it over Skype that's how we're rolling um, oh. pun intended at the moment <laughs> very nice and uh, are you like doing Corona Dungeons and Dragons right now? we aren't doing a, a Corona version we thought it's a, I, I mean I don't believe in too soon to make a joke but everyone else thought it's too soon to make make this joke so we're not, we don't have a virus implemented in the campaign, but we are self-isolating and playing it on Skype. And Yeah, uh, that, that, I, in all fairness, I didn't mean the latter as well, but I didn't mean necessarily part of the game, but yeah, that might... Uh, um, but I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm up for it. I'm up for it, <laughs> but no one wants to do it. <laughs> Roll 20 and you get to self-isolate. Uh, but, um, but yeah, and uh, but uh, if, if you... 
uh, I, I, I like to play a lot of different games, but like, what, what's your favourite types of games, and is there any kind of games you'd like to avoid? I, I'm not a big sport game yeah. kind of guy. I think I don't like these kind of annualised franchises that come out. Yeah. It's essentially the same game with a few tweaks that I'm paying full price for. Yeah, and um, I, I work with um, young people, and uh, this uh, we work for a youth club, and uh, but there's there's a kind of a there's a tradition where that if as soon as the new one comes out, the old one's kind of invalidated as well, and like the kind of uh, uh, they kind of look at it with disparaging eyes, and like oh, I don't want to play like uh, number nineteen. It's like well, it's still really good, and like uh, yeah, and it's like that idea where it's more. Um, you know, it's out of date as well. I don't like those as well, as you mentioned. Um, no, it's mainly like an EA, EA and 2K thing. And I think they should have, if I ran them, I'd have like a core game and then I'd update it every year as like a patch that you could download yeah. for like 20 quid. Absolutely. And they call the tweets you need and bring the rosters in. And then, and then once every four years, I'd have a massive overhaul on the engine. Yeah, and release a new kind of base game. You, you know, you've put a lot of um, uh, that's uh, not only a good idea, but like uh, I think it's uh, you put a lot of thought into this as well. Like, have you ever created your own game? Because you, uh, you like, would you ever create your own video game? I don't know. I don't have very good programming skills. I'm more of a much, much like you. I'm in the creative arts, and I'm like a kind of, I'm like a storyteller and and a good writer. But ah, uh, I don't know. It's a really hard industry to break into. Even when you know people in it, which I do, it's really hard to get over the threshold and kind of get developers to take a shot on, on like a, a rogue's first timer. And uh, I, I, this might be um, uh, this might be a question that projects a lot of what I am as a person. But have you ever? What's the like the longest you've kind of put into a game? You said you put a lot of time into Stardew Valley, but what's what is a game that comes to mind which you spent a lot of time on? As I well? I once, and I'm not proud of this. And if you listen to this, mom, I'm really sorry. <laughs> Already, this is a great start. I, to I did 36 hours straight on the original Final Fantasy VII. Oh, <laughs> that's you know what? Like um, this, I think that we're going to be very good friends as well. I, I think to, to as an homage to you, Adam. I think because uh, I've recently bought that game, I will I will do the same for you as well. I'll do thirty six straight hours after this interview. It'll be really good. It's it was. I'm not I'm not proud of it, and I, I slept for like a day and a half afterwards. And I essentially did the first two discs in one hit. It was insane. <laughs> You know what I um as a oh, as a teenager like I, I to be honest I asked that question because I had two examples in mind but the one that um firstly when I was a teenager I played a lot of Skyrim and I, I remember uh, playing for like about yeah for about twelve hours straight till about four o'clock in the morning until my mum told me to go to bed and that's it it's not not quite as bad but also um oh, one summer I also played uh, about. 200 hours of like Civ 5 as well, which was uh, which is pretty good. Nice. Have you played on um, what were you playing Skyrim on, like console or PC? Uh, it was uh, it was on console, it was uh, I think it, it was Xbox 360 at the time. I think. Oh, you had the good version because yeah. on, on the PS3, the way the PS3 is built and the way the um processor and hard drive are fragmented, mm -hmm. um, people's games kept glitching out at a certain point. 
Oh, really? Yeah, it took them ages to patch it, and they had to give all the DLC away for free by way of apology. Oh, I never knew that. It was a massive, massive controversy. So, yeah, it's, uh, I find, uh, yeah, Skyrim was one of those games where, like, um, I played, oh, when I was, the first proper game I played um, uh, as a kid, I think, was, like, Oblivion as well. That's the game I spent a lot of time on, a lot of time mastering as well. And, uh, yeah, Skyrim was also very similar as well. I didn't connect to it in the same way as Oblivion, but, like, it was, uh, um, you know, it, the, the Elder Scrolls games uh, are, have a big old place in my heart as well. Yeah, I'm I'm a fan. I've got the um, Elder Scroll. I've got on Skyrim both. Uh, I got the PS3, PS4, and I bought the PC version just because a lot of the mods on it are hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, uh, what kind of mods? Uh, what 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 are the funniest mods that you've downloaded? The funniest one by far is someone has taken all the dragons and replaced them with characters from Thomas the Tank Engine. Oh yeah, I've seen. I think I've seen that. It looks very creepy as well. Uh, so. Uh, but yeah, it's very. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm, I'll have to find some images uh, and check that out later on as well. Um, but uh, we, we've obviously talked a lot about uh, kind of like a fandom and like a kind of games and stuff like that. But uh, um, again, here's a, a, a slightly um, projecting question from my end. But like, uh, have uh, I assume if you're a, like a fan of games, you're kind of fan of like culture and media, and obviously in, in the uh, uh, in the area in which you work in, you uh, have a you kind of mix around with lots of like famous people. Have you um, have you ever had like a fan uh, fanboy moment? Yeah? Any of that moment where you were kind of so starstruck when you met someone? Hmm. Have I? Because I try not to kind of fanboy. Yeah. Okay. Because, okay. because I think it's highly unprofessional and Absolutely. and irritating. But I, as a as a big stand-up comedy fan, every year mm-hmm. when I go to Edinburgh, I have to kind of keep a proper tight lid on how hard I, I do and don't kind of fan out. Mm-hmm. And when I when I worked with Scarlett Johansson, that was yes. that was a very tr- tricky moment to not not fanboy over. As like a Marvel guy who'd watched Iron Man two the previous evening, yeah, I oh was my. like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. <laughs> and but that's um. What you mentioned is really, really fascinating because uh, as, as a teenager, I used to um, kind of fanboy quite hard over a lot of things. And uh, I would regularly go to like uh, stage doors and try and get autographs with people. And I think as a teenager, it's a bit more acceptable. But like obviously, when we're professionals and we're working in that field, the etiquette changes significantly as well. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, obviously, yeah. Uh, but. Um, yeah, have you um, have you ever done any like uh, did you any do any fanboying as a teenager or anything like that? Oh, loads, loads as a teenager. I went to go and see um, Live and Kicking being filmed live at the BBC. Oh yeah, with Andy Peters, Emma Forbes, and John Barrowman, and and you know Trevor and Simon. Yeah, and I was just like fascinated by the whole thing. Fanboyed super hard. And then, I, uh... like you say, now, now we're grown ass men. It's a lot trickier. I know I I did get very drunk at the Grayson's one year. And fanboy the hell out of Louis Theroux. <laughs> oh my god! Uh, how was Louis Theroux when you met him? He's he's super cool. He's super chill. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, me, me and my boss, um, Vicky, who's like an exec in Factual TV, just we're just, just just standing on the other side of the room, and she was going, "It's Louis Theroux. I want to talk to him, but I'm quite nervous." I'm like, oh, for God's sake, Vicky! Like, <laughs> grab my boss by the hand. Yeah. Second point. 
Louis, this is my friend Vicky. Vicky, this is my friend Louis. How, how, and I've never met him. I was just a bit tipsy. I went, how yeah. are you all doing today? And he had a really good chat with us. It was great. That's amazing. Uh, and I imagine that he's very, because um, I, I read his, um, his uh, autobiography or his book and he, uh, uh, he kind of mentioned that he, uh, people always get a bit weird when they see him in real life because the way he's on the documentaries, he kind of is in real life as well and people assume that, that, that he's taking the piss when he's talking to you. So, uh, uh, yeah, so I imagine he's quite down to earth to chat to and he's really lovely. And, uh, but, yeah, uh, uh, you also mentioned earlier about going to the Fringe as well. So how, how many times have you been to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival? I have been three times now. Yeah, and uh, have you ever performed up there? I I have not. No, I think Edinburgh is where the big boys go to play. Yes, yeah. And is uh, is that something you're looking into in the future? Uh, maybe doing any projects up there? I mean, it's something that's certainly on on my radar, and I do have a really solid kind of ten minuter that normally works quite well. Mm-hmm. But then there's just so much competition, it's so intense and Absolutely. and what have you. Um, and, um, I, I, and I don't think it's going to happen this year either, <laughs> personally. Yeah, I tell you what, like, um, obviously I've, uh, I literally put my money down for the fringe uh, and then like the week before everything started to be cancelled as well. And yeah, and uh, at the moment they've just cancelled Glastonbury as well and uh, it's kind of looking very grim for the future, but... Uh, but then again, it could be a blessing in disguise as well. It might free me up to do some other projects as well. So I don't think 2020 will happen, uh, or if it does, it will be quite a a, um, a downplayed version of the festival. Uh, but uh, yeah, uh, but also like uh, I think it's uh, it there's positives there. If you know what I mean, I think it might be able to be the kick up the arse which the festival needs to uh, change a little bit as well. Um, oh yeah, yeah. But- yeah, I think I think Edinburgh's been very badly run, certainly the past couple of times. Mm-hmm. And I think the way they hike up prices on like hotels and bars and stuff is is verging on criminal. And yeah. I think and I think giving them a year to take a step back and realise how they're running it, A is is very um almost archaic in, in the sense that um they should already have things in place where comedians can kind of self-tape and do like digital versions of their shows as well that yeah. people can kind of pay to get a digital seat to granted less than the physical seat but still have that level of um, accessibility because then that's another revenue stream for the performers mm-hmm. even if like kind of venues or platforms take a cut it's still it's still kind of money in the bank per se and this i think they should use this as an opportunity to just look at how the whole thing is run in general Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, as as you say, I think it's um, I think it's uh, going to be very alarming for them to see. Uh, it's kind of uh, it, it's like a a de, a de facto version of a strike, if you know what I mean. If, even though it's like kind of mandated by law, but like it's kind of a uh, and uh, they're going to see that. Uh, yeah, hopefully they they have a better view towards the artist because like it just. Uh, it's been so unfair for um, for the performers up there for so long, and it's uh, as you say, it's kind of um, the way that they operate is uh, you know it's it's very uh, it's profit over people so to speak, and it's and that's a very polite way of putting it. But uh, yeah, uh, hopefully it'll be it, there's change in the air, and I and I can, yeah, the corona is very awful, but I think it's 
I, I'm kind of uh, staying optimistic about long-term change as well, so... I know, uh, completely. I think this will make us all better people. I think it's going to change the way we travel significantly. Absolutely. Uh, do you want to elaborate on that? I, I'm, 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 good. I'm good with it. I think, again, there will be a lot of people who won't be going on holidays this year, well, like myself yeah. included, who are going to get very bent out of shape about the whole thing because they don't understand epidemiology. <laughs> Yes, absolutely, and uh, yeah, it's it's very, uh, it, yeah, it's a, and hopefully, um, yeah, people will have, that that people will kind of uh, attitudes will change and that kind of again, hopefully, yeah, I say people will grow uh, and uh, learn and think of alternatives as well. Uh, but yeah, so it, you mentioned earlier that you had some comedy fanboys. Who are some of your favorite people to come, go and watch perform? I I like really dark humor. <laughs> so I'm, I'm a huge kind of Frankie Boyle fan, huge, oh, yeah. huge fan of Anthony Jeselnik. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Jeselnik then... is like super macabre. You know what? I I, I tried uh, Jeselnik, but I didn't quite get into him. Even though I, I I really appreciate what he does, I just it, it wasn't quite my cup of tea. But uh, yeah, I still respect him as a performer. If you know what I mean. But uh, uh, yeah, is there any any other? Uh, yeah, any other, like, dark queens that you like? I once stood five feet away from Dave Chappelle and nearly fainted. Oh, my God. Uh, see, that's the kind of fanboy I like, like, being so overwhelmed as well. Uh, I, I was once in New York, and I saw the back of uh, Steve Martin's head as well, and I thought I was going to have, like, the best day ever. It was really, it was honestly uh, a very, a very, uh, a very heart-racing moment for me. Yeah, it's one of those things, like, if I go and talk to Dave Chappelle, he might kind of kick me in a pussy, sprinkle some crack on me and leave. And then art would imitate life uh, a little bit. A little bit. His, his Sticks and Stones on Netflix is incredible. Yeah, his Netflix specials are really... like That's a man who works really hard and polishes very much. But, again, talking about arts as well and uh, he, but he, he was planning to do like a UK um, stint and like a couple of dates in London but the tickets were like £400 or, some, or something really uh, really expensive as well uh, uh, how do you feel about like um, expensive tickets for performance like that? I, I think when you price your audience out of the show I think it's a um, a bad thing and I, don't yeah. know, I don't know how much of that is the venues and how much of that is, is Dave Chappelle himself. Yeah. But, and, and it happens with everything. I remember when the, um, the UFC, when UFC was finally legal in New York, mm-hmm. they had their first big event in, in New York. And tickets were like, the, the cheapest ticket I could find was $1,000. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's... Uh, and... There's obviously that culture with ticket touts as well, and uh, all those websites which um, uh, like get. I have no time for ticket touting. I think no, ticket touts yeah. can can excuse my French talk right off. <laughs> and I, I, honestly, I I love going to gigs. I love uh, seeing live stuff. Uh, but it and it's like it's it's one of my. It's not a pet peeve because it's more than a pet peeve because I I really can't stand it. But also I um it's it's not like i know it's not a major thing it's not the worst thing in the world but it's like and socially it's like one of my 
biggest hates, if you know what I mean. Like, uh, like it's um, the idea of uh, taking a ticket away from a fan and selling it uh, uh, and exploiting that, like, kind of that desire for profit as well. And I just think it's it's all around bad, bad management. Yeah, it's it's, inc- it's incredibly bad practice. I think we need to get a the kind of industry needs to get a grip on it. As as a whole, venues need to get a grip on it. Websites need to get a grip on it. Like if someone rocks up and buys 50 tickets for one person, I think that should set alarm bells ringing. I think we need to cap it at like four tickets per person. Yeah, exactly. Similar Uh, to what we're doing now with like water and and (laughs) toilet roll and, and what have you. Yeah, like uh, again, like another positive corona. We're we're learning how to manage better as well. We can put these into practice. It's all good. Like no one's panic buying a Lewis Capaldi ticket. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, well, we've got to stock up, Margaret. We've got to, we uh, we need to buy all the Oasis tickets. Uh, well, uh, if Oasis were playing, but like uh, what if Liam dies? <laughs> oh, don't, don't raise my hopes. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, uh, what, okay, but uh, hypothetically, um, let's say it was uh, your dream comedy night and uh, all your favourites were playing. What would be like, the maximum you would be willing to spend on it before you, uh, you got annoyed at, um, uh, at the price? Would, would you be there? Uh, well, it's, uh, if I'm on your dream comedy night lineup, I'm definitely there. You know, uh, I, I can I can host it for you if you want. I I just I don't think I'd go. I'd just get loads of my mates to perform in one night. Yeah, I reckon that, I reckon that's what I do. I reckon I get you in. I reckon I get Juliet Burton down. Yeah. I reckon I get Alexis Dubis down. I try and drag Doug Seagull out of retirement. Definitely get Laura. Yeah. Definitely get Laura Lex down. Um, you're essentially naming all my favourite people in the world. Like, yeah, I know they're, they're they're really good. Like, give Lou Saunders a call; she's great. Actually, that, we should just uh, we we could legit organise this. If it, I know, right? We should we should do this. I, I love Lou. Her fishing for compliments bit is. I'm, I'm so upset she hasn't done it for a while. Yeah, because it's really clever. And uh, yeah, and. Um, I think uh, it's what's lovely to see, especially because uh, I started uh, watching Lou um, when she was like, still on the circuits, and uh, she started doing like Richard Herring's podcast. And what the best thing about me being a performer, um, and like as you grow as a comedian, you start working with lots of open mic comedians, and then these people start to get famous, and it's really lovely to see someone's career blossom as well. And she's doing so amazing, and it's a. Uh, um, yeah, it's always nice to kind of um, it, you don't see your friends very often, but what you do it's kind of nice to kind of see them grow. Uh, and is that quite similar in your circumstances? Do you, I assume you don't get to meet other professionals uh, regularly, but is it nice to see when people are growing and growing? Yeah, I like, I like to see my mates do well. Yeah, it's it's always a good thing. And you know, I think it's important that you you do that. I think sometimes it can be quite cutthroat, and you can say to people, "Oh, I'm so happy for you," when when you aren't. And I think to have yeah. that level of honesty and sincerity with one's friends is is important. That's why I like hanging out with with comedians because they're the most sincere people. Because the whole thing is based on sincerity and human connection. Yes, uh, and uh, yeah, I think that's it's a really. Um lovely way to put it as well but um as you say but uh, it there's obviously the industries that we're both in are very um can be quite savage and heartbreaking at times uh have you uh have you ever been the jealous type have you ever been quite uh um 
have you ever had to work your way out of jealousy? I, I wouldn't say I'm a jealous type. I'm a huge proponent for, for justice. Yeah. And I, I get very frustrated when I see people who are either less talented or have no talent yeah. doing doing well. Yeah. I mean, I'm always reluctant to say names at this point, lest I lest I get like linked mod by by <laughs> yeah. fans of Gemma Collins. Yes, yeah, uh, I I do find uh, I I won't, I won't name names, but there are people in the comedy industry who, uh, and it's hard because like I. I, I kind of accept and respect what they do, but it's also like, oh man, like, uh, you know, they started like uh, after I did as well. And, uh, uh, but the thing is, uh, what, I, again, like, uh, I, it's important just to kind of do your own thing. And, uh, um, that's why uh, I love people when they start doing podcasts or start doing, um, uh, especially with Corona, it's getting to see people to do things outside their remit and giving stuff a go, and uh, seeing people like just explode online and, uh, and uh, finding their own avenues of success as well. It's really, really nice as well. And, uh, and so you have to be mindful of the fact. Uh, well, I have to remind myself to be mindful when I start getting a bit like annoyed at other people for being on TV as well. But um, so, how do you I'm, feel when the children of famous comedians? give comedy a go and even though they're not very good they kind of ride off their their parents see that's a, a little bit that's a really interesting question and there's a, a lot more than people might think as well uh, and you know what I think uh, I think there's a lot of fast tracks there um, but uh, from some people that I do know like uh, Elliot Steele who is Mark Steele's son uh, he um, in all fairness, like I think he is known by he was famous for that in the first place. But he's only put the the hours in. He's really he has really put the hours in. He's really worked hard on uh, developing that um, persona and kind of growing as a comedian. And he he's that he he's not. I think some people uh, get they kind of a flash in the pan and they're famous. Uh, uh, for like a couple, they have one YouTube set of comedy, and uh, and that's it really. And they don't really grow from that. But people who, if they put the legwork in, usually do become famous on their own remit as well. Uh, but uh, yeah, um, it annoys me when I find it more annoying when uh, uh, people like Toby Young or someone like that does like one uh, comedy set and like thinks they're amazing as well. It's like you just did it once to a very pandering crowd. So ah, oh, Toby. <laughs> he's he's not what I had in mind. I I went to a charity gig. Yeah. And there were two comedians on the bill. There was Alfie Day, who's a really funny deaf comedian. Re- yeah. Really funny. He was on first. And then the the charity, one of their patrons was Jan Ravens. Yes. Who is very good. And I and I love it a bit. I, I should say that quite clearly before I bury her son. Yeah. And then, then her son came up and had a go and it was just it was painful. Yeah, it was so bad. And uh, I, how many times have you seen a comedian properly die as well? Because it's uh, being on the opposite end of it is uh, is quite an experience, really. I yeah, but I I think one of my friends, Logan Murray, runs a a course yeah. where he teaches the art of stand up comedy, and in, I... in twelve weeks, and then the final week you actually do an open mic gig that he arranges. And one, I remember one session, everyone was really just not on it. And I think that was the, the week where everyone got caught by the, the, kind of, the, the kind of thought at the back of the head, what mm-hmm. if this doesn't go well? 
And he was like, are you all scared you're going to bomb? And we were like, yeah, we are. And he went, okay. And then he took us to an open mic gig, went on stage and deliberately bombed. Yeah. And then walked off stage and went, now, is anyone dead? Yeah, yeah. And I find that um, it's... I think uh, Tien and Duya uh, also had a, a similar a story to that as well. He died on stage and a, uh, and a Newcastle comedian was like, oh, are you, are you going to kill yourself? And he goes, no. And he goes, well... It's not too bad then, is it? Uh, and I think it's a, uh, it's kind of inspiring. Like, like it's what the only, the worst thing that happens is just being kind of. It's a bit awkward for a day, but uh, you just you move on really, and like, uh, and yeah, dying is um, it can be quite awkward, or if it can be stunting as well. But it's I think it's uh, sometimes you just got to stick to your guns because sometimes. Uh, I remember doing a uh, after dinner speech uh, in the in the last couple of months and. Uh, uh, it's uh, there were very old men who wanted a certain type of comedy, and I just did my own thing. And they uh, uh, they they wanted me to be uh, something else, uh, and uh, I uh, I didn't want to do that. So I kind of uh, um, yeah you, you have to you have to stick to your guns if you know what I mean. Because like if if they're not enjoying it for uh, other reasons other than your comedy, uh, it's uh, I think it's fair game really. Like uh, they they pay me to be there. I'll do twenty minutes, but. I will not let them enjoy it, so... Very old men who wanted a certain type of comedy. Let's try and read between the lines yeah. on this one. I, I, I tried to do it... As, <laughs> I tried to make it as diplomatic as possible, but I think you saw... Was Jim Davidson busy? That was very much the vibe they wanted as well. Like, uh, and, uh, and let me just say that it was, um, it was all... Uh, it was, it was a gentleman only night as well uh and i was the youngest man there for uh, for at least about 50 years uh and uh yeah the the uh, yeah it was in north yorkshire as well so it was oh uh, wow yeah. so like proper they wanted chalky didn't they absolutely wanted it was very much uh like let's let's revisit burning manning uh oh, i was about to say burning manning yes uh yeah so it was very uh oh speaking of burning man that reminds me of a really good show um have you have do you know Alexander Bennett? Yes, I do. Yes. Have you seen his um Hell to Play show? Uh, yes, the uh, game uh, show well, set in hell. Yes. Uh, can you uh, can you just uh, describe it to the listeners if they haven't so seen it? He he plays the devil and he has a game show set in hell, mm-hmm. and with two comedians against each other. And in one of the rounds, one of his mates comes on and dressed like Bernard Manning, <laughs> and and the game is sexist, racist, or homophobic, and he starts telling a joke. And you've yeah. got to guess whether it's sexist, racist, or homophobic. That's brilliant. Before he gets to the punchline. Uh, what, what a game show. Um, that also relates to um, uh, something I wanted to pick up on as well. You said that you love dark comedy and uh, yeah. that dark sense of humour. Where, where do you think that um, dark sense of humour comes from? I, I don't know. I think it's one of those if you don't laugh, you cry things. And when you grow yeah. up with a... I don't, I don't want to play the disabled card here, but I think when you grow up with hardship, you have to either laugh or cry, and you develop a quite thick skin. But also with that, a quite dark sense of humour, almost as a coping mechanism, if you will. And I'm also acutely aware, as a disabled comedian, I can say a lot of things no one else can about anything. Yeah. And then just say that I'm disabled and don't know any better, and <laughs> no one can say shit. <laughs> have you ever used that as well? Oh, I mean, all the time. Has um has anything you said uh, um 
have people ever been like come up to you and been offended by it or put said something on Twitter as well? Oh, I I don't know why people do that anyway. Yeah, right. Like that that would be like going up to Deontay Wilder and taking a swing because he lost to Tyson Fury, kind of. Yeah. Just, and it's always different things. Mm-hmm. Like, like I'm sure you'll agree that as as a comedian, people like ninety percent of the stuff you say, but invariably there's that one joke where someone will, who's been laughing all night will just be like, "Fuck you, motherfucker." And, yeah. and yeah, just the, the, I, and I take the um, the South Park approach to comedy, where either everything's okay or nothing's okay. Yeah, and I, 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 I'm, I, I find the offence in comedy really interesting, especially at the moment. Uh, well, in the last uh, couple of years, there's been a, a massive talk about free speech and stuff like that, and uh, and I'm not going to dip my toes in here because it's a whole can of worms. But I um, but the. Uh, but my point is that some people, uh, if they go to a show, they'll laugh at uh, everything and even at all the other dark stuff. But then there's one joke that go, oh, that, well, that's not okay. But like, it's there's not a, a logical line there as well. And uh, and what, one of my biggest pet peeves is when I see uh, like stuff like uh, when people are offended by something and taking a joke out of context. And it's like, no, 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 you can't do that. You can't take a a line or a joke out of context from the comedy club or the situation because the whole point, especially in Fringe as well you build a whole narrative and a whole um, layers of context to get to that point, if you know what I mean it's, uh, I find it really rude when people do that Yeah, Jim Jeffries spoke about this in one of his specials where they're like, yeah, someone wrote an article about me and they wrote out my, my kind of the whole joke, and I'll be honest not a good read yeah. <laughs> However in the context of this, this is stand-up comedy. This isn't a TED talk. Absolutely, and uh, I am. Um, uh, but uh, another but thing that I find quite annoying is when, um, when um, yeah, you, yeah, you, if if someone uh, like a uh, someone like a public figure, like a, like a politician, they say something horrible, and you go, "Oh, it's just joking," and it's just kind of like I wish that was not a defence, if you know what I mean, because it's uh, it's a uh, it's an interesting thing. But it's like maybe like. Maybe maybe anyone outside of comedians shouldn't joke. At, uh, maybe should, people should be banned from joking in a public uh, public relations. Well, comedy has context. Yeah. And I think saying you were joking after like after the fact. Yeah. Is is a bit weak. And um, David Baddiel said it recently in his um BBC Holocaust documentary. Um, as long as you can justify the joke. Go for it. If you can explain it to me when challenged, rock on. I'll, I'll roll with it. But if you're just saying, oh, it's a joke, mate, get over it, with no nothing to back that up with, then you probably weren't joking. And I think that's a really good policy, uh, although I've had it before where um, I've put some out online. Uh, I, once, uh, I did a joke um, uh, about... Uh, last year and I, it, it got lots of retweets and their uh, favourites and stuff like that and I was really proud of it but the, there's always one person uh, that takes it really seriously as well as if it wasn't even a joke it's just a statement and it's like well, no it's quite clearly supposed to be humorous as well I remember that what the joke was um, 
is that I went to a, a vegan festival and I, uh, I I accidentally ate a dog biscuit instead of uh, as a free sample and uh, it, and a lot of people were saying that oh well you know you shouldn't really uh, take the free samples because you know you should give back to local businesses it's like it was meant to be a joke and people obviously found it as a joke but people read into what they what they want to take out of stuff as well so you know yeah, yeah or people take it like. Like you said, I think it's an actual statement. Like, uh, what was it I put really recently? This week, in fact. Um, there's another Adam Pearson who manages Hull FC Rugby Club and is quite big in the sports world. Yeah. And he fired the coach on live on TV. And the internet went mental. Yeah. And, and I put as a joke, dear Hull FC fans, I know you're upset that your coach has fired on live TV. I would be too. However, I am not that Adam Pearson. Yeah. I'm a disabled one, not the sports one. If we could all stop DMing me, that'd be great. Completely a joke. No one would DM me. It was just a funny, funny joke. Yeah. And sent it. It made the local paper in Hull. Oh my God, really? Yeah. And then I got loads of Hull people who support the other team, the Robins, DMing me yeah. going, yeah, mate, fuck FC fans. They all take heroin and shag their sisters. Oh. And I'm like, oh... This has gone far too far the other way. And then actual rugby players started retweeting it. Oh and then God. Chris Kamara retweeted it. And it just... Oh, I know. And it is by far the biggest tweet I've sent. Let me let me check the metrics really, really quickly. I know it got... I know last time it was at three and, nearly 3,500 likes and 600 retweets. Yeah. And had like a couple of hundred replies. But yeah, it just blew up. And, um, and now I've got to go to a whole rugby game when it all kicks off, when it all starts up again. And, ah. Uh, well, well, that sounds... Um, I, you know, it's been pretty crazy. Um, talking about, like, I, I once had a... Well, uh, there's another Matt Hoss who does comedy who uh, sued uh, H3H3, which is a YouTube brand, and I literally got all the tweets and all the hate mail. So I think we're kind of kindred spirits here, you know. Yeah, so it was three, three days ago, and... Uh-huh. It has had 362,952 impressions. Oh, my God. And total engagement is 46,387. Uh, so, do you like... Because um, I find it really interesting. I always like to look at it, and I'm not sure if it's a good thing to admit, but when, when a tweet does really well, I like to look at all the impressions and uh, all the engagements. Are you someone who regularly checks all these things? Are you a, are you quite the uh, um, savvy social media uh, pundit? Yeah, I like, I like my metrics. I've, I've had to learn how to use it. I've had to get it wrong a lot to learn how to, how to get it right. And I think it's, social media is not a place to engage in political discourse. Yeah, because it's very hard to use um, to contextualise things just writing. Mm-hmm. And kind of things like body language and, and tone of voice and what have you are equally important in communication, um, as, as even in comedy. So a lot of that gets lost online. So I think you need to use it very wisely and very carefully and make sure that you're not setting yourself up for something you didn't mean to if, if that makes sense uh, yeah absolutely i think it's uh i uh it's it's weird to see um i say i work with young people and uh it's um it's weird to see that their whole lives are immersed online already and uh they're always like 
I, d I don't mean it in a grouch way, but they're always on the phones, which is obviously fine, but obviously it's, their identity is um, spliced between real life and online as well, so it's about just managing them and being healthy with it as well. So, And, uh, and people still think that there's some kind of divide between the two, when, when yeah. there isn't. Kind of, you can go online and act in one way, and then in, in the real world you act in another. And in fact, those two worlds are very much one and the same. I find I, I find that really interesting. The idea that I could have a chat with someone, we could have a really nice time, and then uh, then they would go online and just say something really atrocious to another human being. It's like, well, we, we just had we were just really lovely, and uh, you, you are a lovely person. But why do you why do you just say that randomly as well? Yeah, I uh, yeah, and I think you're right. Actually, it's uh, the idea that people, um, yeah, may, maybe it's a uh, how people are behind closed doors as well, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Hopefully, uh, yeah, um, the internet it can be a an awful place, but hopefully it's not too bad. Um, but um, so we're we're getting close to um, the end at the moment. But I, so I, I had some kind of quick questions if I, uh, if you would like to indulge me. I would love to indulge you, good sir. Oh, thank you, Adam. Uh, so, uh, uh, firstly, um, let's. Uh, I'll, I'll try some generic ones. Uh, I've, uh, I've, this is, I haven't done a podcast episode for a while, and I've got a brand new question, which I'm going to debut to you. Um, what is a hobby you tried once, but you gave it up? <laughs> oh, dude. I'm going to come across like such a dork. <laughs> no, I think um, that's it. Juggling. Juggling. Okay, that's pretty. Like, you know what? Juggling. That's a. That's kind of a great answer there as well. So, uh, why did you give it up? It was just too much of a flash. Uh, uh, and I bought like a proper set as well. I bought like yeah. the, the covers of balls, the, the book, and and everything. And then I tried to juggle the clubs through it. It came down and hit me on the head, and I was like, nope. Fuck <laughs> this for a game of soldiers. This ain't happening anymore. I but I appreciate that you bought the balls for as well because that's that's a different kind of commitment. That's that's fair play. Uh, um, but yeah, I uh, I'm I'm quite bad for like uh, giving stuff up like that. I mean, I as I asked you that question, I um um I remembered that my parents for one birthday bought me a magic set as well, and uh, I I played with it once and returned it as well. I just magic wasn't for me, but uh, really, uh, I, I I love magic. Oh, do you ever do that on stage? Um, not not on stage. Um, when I was working uh, in the States, I was working on, on a movie. And mm. when you work on film, there's a lot of downtime in, in between actual work. Yeah. There's an old Michael Caine quote where he says he does the acting for free and charges for the waiting. Uh. <laughs> and so I, I sent one of my runners to get me some, like, packs of playing cards and, and what have you and just yeah. taught myself these sort of, like, more mathematical magic tricks mm. and then worked on the sleight of hands as well so i can do a few really good bits uh and um so um you mentioned acting as well when was the first time you ever performed what was, what was your first ever performance oh when you say performance because i i used to go to menorca as a kid on like family holidays yeah and we became really good friends with the guy that owned a karaoke bar Oh, nice. And even as an eight-year-old, I was obsessed with karaoke. Like, obsessed with kind of performing and, and the arts and what have you. And then I fell into documentaries and I was, what, 19? Yeah. And then acting, I think I, I still literally fell into that when I was, what, 26? Oh, so uh, how did you fall into acting? 
I auditioned, I applied for a role as a joke. Yeah. And then it all got really real and I panicked. And I, I did everything wrong. I did everything possible to not get this gig. On the way to the final meeting with the director, I got hit by a car on Tottenham Court Road and broke my leg. That oh my was God. that was my first impression. Oh, that's that's awful. I'm really sorry to hear. And they still hired me. <laughs> Imagine what the other people were like. Um, that, that's what I keep saying. Like, everyone else Johnson must have been shit. <laughs> I am who you went with. I, I think I played for that role as well. Um, but uh, um, but yeah, like uh, but that's. Um, but uh, that, now that's a, now that's a really good um, origin story there as well. That's uh, that's that's pretty cool. But uh, so what uh, what role was that for? That was for Under the Skin. That was for the Scarlet Johansson. Oh, but uh, so and uh, that obviously was a, a monumental thing for your career as well. And uh, so since then, uh, uh, you've. Uh, what what you've been doing since? Uh, you, you try, do you focus one area, or do you like to do lots of different projects? Or uh, yeah, I try and keep as much on the go as I can. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're pitching some documentary ideas in at the moment. Um, also developing a podcast idea that that could be quite good. Expect an email, good sir. Oh, thank um, you. And then might be doing a kids book. Oh, great! Oh. Uh, yeah. What would your kids' book be about? Well, I'm a big fan of um, advice. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the kind of self-help, quote-unquote, kids' books are really wanky. (laughs) Yeah. Like, so bad. Oh, find your girl squad, or because you're awesome, Mm -hmm. and and what have you. And a lot of them aren't really honest. Yeah. I, I have yet to read a kids' book where there's even a chapter called You Might Be the Problem. (laughs) <laughs> yeah it's uh, i imagine your uh children's books might be quite real but then again like it's uh i think uh there's a kids books can be quite i think it, again if you get the if you hit it right i think it'd be really really um powerful yeah and a lot of them are quite patronizing and are, are yeah. slightly dumbed down and i i even all my mates kids i talk to them kind of like they're not growing ups, but kind of intelligent i give them the benefit of of the doubt sometimes i say something that they're not meant to hear and then we'll have like um i had one of them ask me recently uncle adam what's a jaeger bomb and <laughs> I, don't, I don't know where they heard me say that yeah. but i'm pretty certain it was me they heard it from and so then i i, I look at the dad who looks at me and, I, and i'm like i'm really doing this and he's like yes you are so I bend down and I go, Heidi, you know, in Disney films, when the princess drinks a potion, falls asleep, and all the boys start kissing her, that's a Jaeger bomb. <laughs> that really does put a different spin on Disney films now, is actually. Five years old. Five years old, man. <laughs> well, why is Sleeping Beauty asleep? Well, uh, absinthe. But... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, uh, that's a very delightful way to put it as well. Uh, um, but I am. Um, I I I I've got a couple more questions. But before, um, uh, just uh, on the theme of that as well, I I read uh, recently that uh, you said that you would uh, would quite like to be a James Bond villain. Yeah, absolutely. Firstly, I think it'd be quite a great one. But like, uh, what uh, could you could you pitch me like your idea of like uh, who would you be as a James Bond villain? Uh, which James Bond would it be? What would the film be called? What's your vibe? 
I, so, I think a lot of the time, ah, because here's the way I have, very often in film, disfigurement or disability is used as a shorthand for villainy. Yeah. Which is, A, lazy writing, and mm. B, highly unbalanced. Yeah. And I think we need to get more good guys with, with disfigurements in, in film as well, or just more not baddies with yeah. disfigurements and disabilities in film as well. That being said, as an actor, they are the most fun roles to play. Oh, do you think? Oh, absolutely. You get to turn up to work, be a prick, get paid and go home. It's incredible. <laughs> yeah. It's utterly Wait. incredible. It's such a good gig. And I... I think we need a very, I think we need a smart Bond bad guy. We've got a lot of rich idiots with like volcanoes and layers and, and what have you. Yeah. But I, I want to be the guy that tries to like crash an economy. Okay. Rather than kill people, I can create an environment where the people kill themselves. <gasps> wow. This is, uh, uh, again, very, very similar to your kids' book. It's quite real. Uh, um, um, go, go, go online, take a penny from every single bank account on the planet. Yeah. And then use that money to artificially inflate or deflate the price of the certain goods well, and, yeah. and make people hate each other. You know what? You're very, um, with all your answers, like, uh, it's, it, like especially, like, um, it's, it seems very well thought out as well. I, I think if I was a Bond villain, I'd be like, um, but I don't know, I suppose I'll just, uh, um, I'll, I'll, I'll kick a penguin. I don't know. Like, uh, I don't think, I, I think I would be very short term. I think that your, your, your long term plan is very good. Very good. Oh, it's, uh, it's so good. Like, be rich, then turn all those pounds into dollars, which will mean the dollar becomes worthless overnight. <laughs> Like, utterly worthless. Yeah. I mean, like the Zymar Republic again, which I'm sure we all know was a brutal time to exist. It, it was, uh, yeah, um, uh, that was uh, post-war, post-war war, Germany, right? Yeah, so that's yeah. what I do. I crash an economy. Wow. And, uh, okay, and who would be your... Which, which James Bond actor would you prefer? I am going to make a bold prediction here. Yeah. I want to work with the next James Bond, who I think is going to be Idris Elba. That would be sick, wouldn't it? Yeah. That, you know what? I think uh, you two would go quite well. Have you ever met Idris Elba? I, I have met Idris a couple of times, yeah. He's, he's super cool. I, I met him. He'd shortly had his first boxing match. Mm-hmm. And he'd, he'd run the guy over. But yeah, I met him at the Grayson's in 2017. Yeah. Same night we fanboyed at Louis Theroux. <laughs> Me and my yeah. other boss were fanboying over Idris Elba. Yeah. And, yeah, no, really cool guy. Really down to earth. Like, knows where he's come from. Isn't isn't a twat. I don't like it when people get famous and then become a twat. It just doesn't yeah. do them any favours. But, as, as we mentioned earlier, that, that's why I think comedians... Uh, why I really like comedians, because, like, uh, even as they grow and become famous, they're still the same weirdo that they've always been as well like um, I met Sarah Millican recently and uh, yeah she just is so lovely if you know what I mean and she's, she's... I, I completely U-turned on her I didn't used to like her but then I, I kind of met her met her and I'm like nope you're lovely you're every bit as much as everyone told me you were she she doesn't pretend to be anyone else and it's so um, refreshing as well but uh yeah, um, we should uh, we should probably wrap up. But uh, thank you so much, Adam, for coming onto the podcast. 
nice thank you for having me it's been a been good chat yeah it's been an absolute pleasure and uh where can people uh, uh hear more from you online yeah, you can get a hold of me on the old twitter machine adam underscore pearson um follow me not the not the sports guy <laughs> yeah, yeah. disabled one not the sports one that's that's what you yeah, want we're gonna get a lot of people from hull uh send you messages afterwards we're gonna get such a high listenership in hull aren't we it's gonna be amazing yeah, let me. Um, uh, uh, we should finish on a, a final question. If you had to flat share with any three comedians who uh, for a whole month, uh, who would they be? Oh, can you repeat it again? Just buy me some uh, time to think about it. Okay, if you had to flat share with any three comedians for a whole month, and don't just think necessarily your favourite heroes, because you have to live with that person for a month, so the novelty will wear off. Like, who's going to be good at doing dishes? Who's going to be good at being a good flatmate? Yeah, I know. Oh, this is so hard, because, again, like, the, the kind of family in me wants to do a flat share with James A. Castor, Rob Gamble, and Nish Kumar, because it would be carnage. <laughs> but you know what? I actually think those guys would be pretty uh, pretty nice to live with, actually. I think A. Castor... Well, they have flat shared. I, I, yeah. I know that. I know that James A. Castor once turned up to Rob Slack to ask if we could stay for a while and had already had a pizza deliveroo there. Oh, So, yeah, I think uh, uh, that's, a, that's a great answer. Um, yeah, yeah. And, but, and they're all quite good at different things. Like, with, with Nish, we can talk kind of politics and stuff. And, and then me and James can just have, like, the random chats about things and then Rob can kind of fill in the gaps. That sounds like a, uh, a perfect answer and a perfect way to end this podcast. Thank you so much, Adam. No problem, my man. Thank you so much for Adam to coming on the podcast and uh, please do follow him online and do check out his many wonderful uh, films and uh, documentaries. Uh, he's a really wonderful person to, uh, to follow as well. Um, Thank you so much for listening. It's been an absolute pleasure to come back and do these podcasts with some wonderful people. We're going to, because of Corona, I'm going to try and get as many podcasts out as possible. So I'll drop quite a few off. Uh, so do subscribe to this. Do, do give us a five-star rating and do share with friends as well. Uh, it be really, really appreciated. Um, and yeah, that there, if you like it, send me a message at Matt Hoss Comedy on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. It'd be great to hear your voice. And also, if you, I've started some other stuff. If you want some um, lockdown material, I've been doing uh, a lot of Twitch streaming. Uh, and it's twitch.tv slash Comedy. Check me out if you want to see me play some games and have a bit of a laugh whilst I do so. Um, that'll be it, and I'll be back relatively soon uh, with episode 35. Have a lovely day, and take care out there. Bye! And we host the, the greatest, greatest film you've never seen podcast. podcast.
And this is a podcast where we ask people what the greatest film they've never seen is and why they've not seen it. So, for example, I've never seen The Godfather, so we'd be talking about why I've not seen that, what's it like when people bring it up, do I just lie about it, and then, right, and then we'll get them to do their own version of the film based on the limited knowledge they have. So you can listen to that on all good streaming services, uh, such as iTunes and Spotify. And you can follow Hope for Proles, the production company, on social media. Give us a like there. You've never seen The Godfather? Not once. <laughs> <laughs>